Hello, I'm Lucy. And I'm Michelle. And welcome to the sixth special episode of Tudoriferous, the biographical podcast that examines lives in the Tudor era. And today, the Malleus Maleficarum. Mm -hmm. And it's the Halloween episode. Yes. Welcome to spooky territory. And hopefully not too much torture. A bit. A bit. A bit, <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid. It's hard to get away, hard to keep away, but I've not done any descriptions. I don't want to. Thank you. <laughs> I, I know I know how the strapado works. I don't need to tell you. I don't know what that is, and I am uh, okay with being ignorant. Don't Google it. Don't Google it. <laughs> anyway, prepare to enter a strange and rather disturbing world. This is the morass of ideas, questions and fears in which the people wallowed at the end of the 15th century and a considerable time after. And the result of getting it wrong, of making the wrong choice, was your very soul. Yeah, which was more important Mm. than your corporal body. Mm. I'm afraid I'm going to take us on some pretty murky paths, as I always seem to, what with syphilis and then the human (laughs) body. (laughs) And it got mentioned again. I think that's the only one. Okay. And there are some quite unsettling views about witchcraft and women in general. Yes. We're born evil. We are. Oh, well. Which is so sad. (laughs) And not wishing to blackmail people into joining our Patreon, Order of the Garter, (laughs) but some of this will make more sense. I mean sense in quite a loose way, but it will make more sense if you've heard the Human Body episode on Patreon. Patreon. And if you remember at the beginning of Leonardo da Vinci's episode, also on Patreon, that I warned you that we were going to meet a very nice man. Yes. Well, this time we're going to meet Heinrich Kramer, the author of the Manius Maleficarum. Right. And no such warning is necessary in this case. No. Just the name Malleus Maleficarum should tell you that this is not going to be okay. Yes. The Hammer of the Witches. Yeah. I don't want to approach this episode in, with an oversimplistic view of, you know, look how awful this man is, putting innocent people on trial and burning them. I'd rather try and see him as a man who believed wholeheartedly in witchcraft. He thought it was everywhere. He thought it was dangerous. He thought it threatened the church. He thought the authorities weren't taking it seriously enough, and he was frightened. Yes. In Kramer's world, magic was no longer the domain of a few well-educated necromancers, precursors of John Dee. I think we ought to have a, a, a sound for John Dee, a sort of Margaret sound. Yes. Oh. Uh, anyone could do it now. And it was becoming depressingly and terrifyingly mundane. Ooh. So, obviously, you had to hunt out and kill these people. Otherwise, the whole of Christendom was under threat. Um, we who view those accused of witchcraft now as victims, but... That was not necessarily how they were seen at the time. They were pretty much enemy number one. You've got witches and heretics. Yeah. You're in trouble. So as they approached the year 1500, people were scared. I mean, we we just had the millennium bug when we reached the millennium. Yes, I remember that. Everybody was worried that the Y2K was going to Mm, ruin every single computer. computers were going to crash, weren't they? And nothing happened. Nothing happened at all. Well, it was the same here, actually, because remember, um, 1500, Alexander, Pope Alexander, decided it's party time, didn't he? Yes. (laughs) And set up his jubilee. As they approached 1500, they were looking 
to the prophecy that God prisoned Satan for a thousand years and people were panicking that the thousand years would be up in 1500. Although obviously nobody knew when the sentence had started. So it was a sort of <laughs> wild stab in the dark, I think. Yes. They saw the increase in demon and witch activity as the prelude to the release of Satan. See, now how did they decide that it was an increase, though? Because Kramer said so. Oh. And it became a self, self, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. Because if you think there's more of it, you see then more you look for more, then you try more people for it, and more people are accused of it. Yeah. And so you can say, look, there's more. Yeah. Scary. Yeah, well, especially since they are living in a world where there's no such thing as coincidence. So no wonder they were frightened and desperate to suppress the witch threat. And that goes some way to explain why this book was second only to the Bible in sales figures. Really? Yeah, and it had such a hold on people. Wow. And why so many people bought into the opinions stated in this book. Half a century later, they did. Well, you know, we're going to sit here and say that this would never be the case now. But there's that whole birds are robots movement. Have you heard about that? No, I haven't at all. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> so... Two guys in the States decided to put out rumors and a website and fake documentary that birds are robots as a joke to sort of see what would happen and just making fun of certain beliefs. And now there are actually people out there that believe that birds are robots and they should all be removed. Like, honestly, they honestly believe it, even though the people who wrote it have been, no, 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 it, it, we were not being serious. Don't, mm. don't believe this. And people still believe it. It is now a thing in North America. <sighs> okay, I'm looking up. It's called Birds Aren't Real. And it's a website, birdsaren'treal.com. I can see a few out there. They're not real. <laughs> they're actually <laughs> drones and they're spying on you. Are they? Yes. Oh, I might have to shut the curtains. And no, we do not believe this. Please do not <laughs> believe this. It was meant to be a joke. <laughs> yeah, the Manius Maleficarum would become the handbook for the spate of mass witch trials that spread across Europe. Even though for many clergymen, the belief in the power of witchcraft was itself heretical, since it detracted from the power of God. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Actually, everything that everybody says that isn't Kramer makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Good to note. <laughs> yes. and it, well, this isn't going to be an episode about witch trials per se, since they hadn't really got going at this time. But I've written a heyday for witch trials. Heyday sounds far too cheerful. Just yes, a heyday it does. for witch trials was <laughs> in Germany, which saw by far the most trials. And that was between 1560 and 1670. That's not to say there weren't witch trials at this time. There were plenty, but the number was small compared to, you know, the horrendous figures that came later. Wow. And this episode will be specifically about Kramer and the Malleus Maleficarum, about how it redefined witchcraft and set the parameters for the trials that came after. Because it wasn't really taken up in its day. But really? we're covering it now because it was written at this time. Who was it that really went crazy with it? It would have been, was it James the Sixth? Oh, he, yeah, he was well into it, wasn't he? Yeah. He's mm. the first Stuart that we were planning on getting to. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there, even if it's <laughs> we're doing it by seance by that time. 
Yeah, we'll probably do the Rich Charles in Elizabeth's ra- um, uh, season. And if you were thinking, as I did, at least all this anti-witch feeling gives the Jews some breathing space. Oh, no. Really? Yeah, Kramer links witches and Jews since they are both perfidia. That is, people who know the truth but prefer to betray it. What the heck? And it shouldn't be seen as if the Inquisitors necessarily drummed up support for the persecution of witches, although of course they did. The impetus could also come from the people themselves. Following a hailstorm that decimated crops and vines over an area of a mile, the locals, quote, clamoured for an Inquisition, unquote. So they actually called for According one. to Kramer, they did. Oh, OK. Yes. But as we'll see, his words cannot always be trusted. <laughs> Anybody who writes a book like that really has other problems. Well, he is of his time. It's very difficult for us to, to step back, isn't it, to that time and get rid of all the niceness that has come with the 21st century. Yes. Yeah. Why did Kramer feel the need to write the Manius Maleficarum? It was a book born out of exasperation, humiliation, self-justification and fear. Kramer was exasperated that his warnings that witches were everywhere and that the menace was growing was not being taken seriously in the Holy Roman Empire where he was based. The humiliation rose from a trial in Innsbruck, which was brought to an abrupt close when the town authorities became alarmed and embarrassed by Kramer's line of questioning. Oh. Yeah, we'll be looking at that trial in a little while. But he was later drummed out of town and Golser, the Bishop of Innsbruck, described him as senile and unhinged. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Which brings us to the self-justification because being described as senile and unhinged probably rankled a little bit. Yes. Especially, he was only in his 50s at this time, which Quite old for that time, but yeah. even so, he was not a man who could take criticism, as to be said. <laughs> a little bit thin-skinned. Mind you, I wouldn't like to be called senile. No, neither would I. He set about refuting any argument against the existence of witches, and he must have had Bishop Golser in mind when he wrote it. Fear's an interesting one. The church felt embattled against forces threatening to destroy it. Whether these forces were visible on earth, in the form of schismatics heretics and Turks, or invisible in the form of the Antichrist, the end of the thousand years of Satan's captivity, which, as I said, is thought to be imminent, and the large judgment. Large judgment? Last Last judgment. judgment. (laughs) There were heretical sects headed by Wycliffe and Hus, is it pronounced, or Hus? I know they're Hussites. Are they Hussites? I don't. It's one of these things I've seen it written down a lot, but... And the other one, Peter, Va- Peter Waldo, Peter Valdo, I'm not quite sure who started the Waldensians. These were quickly dealt with by the church, and it was easy, especially with the Waldensians, to equate their beliefs with witchcraft, since they claimed to have the power to cure diseases, foretell the future, and to leave the material world and enter the world of spirits. I'm going to go back a second. How do we know Satan was only in prison for a thousand years? That bit, I think, is... In the Bible, it's just when the thousand years started that's pure guesswork, I think. Oh, I don't remember a thousand years in the Bible. I must have missed it. Oh. Hmm. Well, I assume it's in the Bible. Maybe it's in one of the Apocryphas. I Not don't sure. know. Somebody tell us. Yeah, everyone seemed to be convinced of it anyway, and that's usually enough. 
Yes. As we have you just discussed with these robot birds. <laughs> oh my goodness. In 1455, Kramer assisted at the trial and execution of the Waldensian bishop, Frederick Reiser. And it was this experience which may have triggered Kramer's belief that the world was being overrun with heretical sects and something needed to be done about it. The Dominicans, of which Kramer was part, were particularly involved in this. From its inception, the order had seen combating heresy as one of their major roles. They seem like quite a fundamentalist lot, the Dominicans. Yes. Yeah. Why do fundamentalists always seem to want to move towards violence to wipe out other people? I don't understand that. No. No, especially since Christianity is... I thought it was meant to be quite a loving religion. Yeah. I mean, it's based on such nice principles. Yes. There was constant simmering resentment of church corruption... A fear of ecclesiastical generation, which we've seen. We've seen plenty yes. of ecclesiastical generation, haven't we? Degeneration. Yes. Did I say degeneration or generation? You said generation, and I was thinking, <laughs> hmm, well, it is kind of. You've got degeneration yes. and generation, because random yeah. people who have absolutely no training as priests, at least in England, are being given bishoprics. Well, I was thinking more of Pope Alexander did a bit of generating himself. <laughs> yes, didn't he? he did. <laughs> And degeneration. <laughs> he was a degenerate. <laughs> it's unlikely that the witchcraft hysteria would have taken off to the, to the same extent if it hadn't been for the Reformation, because people were scared and confused. Yeah, you're being told that something that you believed all your life and has been believed for centuries is wrong. That's mm. really hard to have your fundamental beliefs being ripped out from underneath you. Yes. Yeah, and that's why a lot of people didn't accept it, mm -hmm. which is understandable. We'll have a look at Kramer's life and then look at the book that made him famous. So who was Heinrich Kramer? And I'm going to be mainly covering him since there is debate about how much input Jakob Sprenger had in writing the book, because it used to be believed that they wrote it jointly. But now it's thought that he just wrote the foreword to the book. Oh, okay. Heinrich Kramer Latinized his name to Henricus Institoris. And he's known as Institoris in quite a few of the books I read. I looked up I looked it up on Google Translate. Kramer is German for Chandler. And Institoris in Latin means shopkeeper, which would go with Chandler. Okay. But more aptly, it means inquisitor. Oh. Hmm. He was born around 1430 in Alsace, then part of the Holy Roman Empire. And in 1445, he entered the Order of the Dominicans. So he was only 15. I think that was That's normal. actually fairly late to enter an order. Oh, I'm thinking of the Oblates, where the, you give the children up at eight to oh, no, join this, an this order. Is this is voluntary. Voluntarily, okay. yeah. He studied debate, philosophy, and logic for four years. He graduated with an MA in theology. He studied for a Master's of Theology in Cologne, which involved a further 14 years, although you were meant to spend most of that time teaching. Oh. So he's a well-read and presumably intelligent man. But well-read specific items. Oh, yes. Not widely read. No. Well-read. <laughs> <laughs> you will see that his life is very much one of ups and downs. Confusingly so, since given the number of downs... The ups are quite hard to explain. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 1467, Kramer was on a commission against the Hussite 
heretics in Bohemia and East Germany. He was allowed to remit people's sins and grant indulgences, and he could also place interdictions on recalcitrant heretics and even entire towns. So he was given a lot of power. Yeah. An interdict, just in case anybody's wondering, is when they cannot do weddings, um, christenings, uh, yeah, pretty much Mm. everything, funerals. It really brings the spiritual life to a halt, which means that you can still bury people, but you can't. You can't. You can't do the last right. Send them off properly. Yeah. Yeah. So you end up telling people that everybody's going to hell or purgatory is going to last an extra long time because they weren't purified before they died. And often they were put on towns for what seems now to be extremely trivial reasons. Yes. 1474, he became papal inquisitor. I keep saying inquisitor. Inquisitor (laughs) with a vast jurisdiction. Most inquisitors were assigned to an area or province, but Kramer was allowed to practice anywhere, provided he had the permission of the pre-existing inquisitor. Do we know why? Well, this is the odd thing. He's given a lot of powerful positions. But as we will see soon, it's odd. It's odd that he's given them. The only thing I can think of is somebody who's very charismatic. You do something for them without really realizing what the consequences are going to be because you like them so much. I don't think that's it. Okay. Everyone everyone says he was a very difficult man. Oh. Yeah. He's very prickly. And I'm sure that's what a lot of his problems, where a lot of his problems stem. Hmm. But he's also very keen. Right. So perhaps people put up with that because they know he'll he'll do it properly. He'll get on with the job. Unfortunately, it's a good thing in most cases. But uh, uh. <laughs> he then became the Inquisitor for Upper Germany alongside Jakob Sprenger. And he also became a prior to a Dominican convent but gave it up a couple of years later. And I think it must have been odd to have someone who was convinced that all women were at the mercy of their carnal desires in charge of a convent. Mm, I wonder okay. if that's why he yes. had to give it up. Hmm. Even among Dominicans, Kramer's zealotry was commented on. He not only spoke out against witches and heretics, but also against reformers of the church. And he even spoke out against the Holy Roman Emperor, Frederick III, it's Maximilian's dad. Ma- yeah. Whom he accused of infringing the rights of the papacy. Well, lots of monarchs did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I'm not saying he didn't do it, but I know it didn't go down well because the next we hear of him is in June 1474 and he's being released from a prison sentence <laughs> brought upon <laughs> by the remarks about the Holy Roman Emperor. <laughs> Oops. He wasn't totally forgiven. He was given a suspended sentence and that was only rescinded four years later. But this didn't affect his rise through the church. So this is the odd thing. So I presume the Pope must have agreed with his comments about Frederick. Yeah. And now he's, oh, what's not, what is it? You're not a martyr because you haven't died, but you're suffering for your faith. A confessor? Is that Mm. that? Yeah, so him going to prison for religious beliefs might have put him in the confessor category. Maybe, yes, maybe. But uh, it's not all religious. The Dominicans were particularly involved in protecting the papacy from attack, both from those who thought the church council should be above the Pope and from heretics, and they were known as the dogs of the Lord. Oh. Yeah. 
And that's not a nice thing. I mean, we'd think, dogs, you know. Yeah. But I don't think it's because they were fluffy and lovable and slept no. in a basket or they anything. They had big teeth and they bit. Yes, and once they got their teeth in, they didn't let go. They couldn't have shook on the pit bulls of the Lord, I suppose. Kramer was made preacher general for the Diocese of Strasbourg, uh, within which was Heidelberg, which was where witch trials were then taking place. On a visit to Rome, he was involved in a brawl. (laughs) (laughs) He said he was attacked by two brothers, but we don't know why, possibly because he didn't didn't know how to keep his damn mouth shut, I should think. Apparently not. Yes. April 1475, the Master General was again compelled to authorise the prior of the convent in Basel, to settle a dispute between Kramer and two other friars, each of whom had charged the other with the theft of a sum of money. Oh, my gosh. Hmm. The matter was, matter was settled. But, um, if I say the matter was settled, Kramer brought uh, charges of slander against the friars, and he won, so... Well, it's sort of settled. <laughs> yes. 1479, Kramer suffered an, yet another setback. A priest from the Diocese of Augsburg had been giving daily communion to a number of pious women. And this had been going on for over a decade. For some reason, Kramer eyed this with suspicion, because apparently communities of women who weren't actually nuns were suspected of heretical beliefs, at least by Kramer. Kramer forbade the priest from continuing. Really? Hmm. The priest appealed to Rome and won. Good. Hmm. It was around this time that Kramer became increasingly concerned by the dangers of witchcraft and he began to step up prosecution of suspected witches. Okay, so here's the question. Are there male witches that he goes after or is it only women? It's not only women, but the vast majority are women. And we'll come to that in a little while. Okay. Yes. He claimed extensive personal experience in witch prosecutions. For instance, in a report written in 1490 to the Nuremberg City Council, he boasted of having been responsible for the discovery and execution of more than 200 witches. Boasted. Seems an odd choice of words, but anyway. However, there's almost a complete lack of evidence to corroborate this. The records might have been lost, but it's generally agreed that he hugely exaggerated his involvement. Which is good, in a way. (laughs) Yeah, but did he hugely exaggerate his involvement, or did he hugely exaggerate how many people had been tried? I'm hoping it's how many people had been tried. Mm. Yeah, otherwise it would make a lot of difference, does it? No, it's still horrible. Yeah, there was a rather more serious charge against him in 1482. Kramer had been given the job of collecting money donated for the war against the Turks. And somehow he was a little remiss passing the money on to the relevant authorities. Oh, he's a thief. Mm. It's resting in his account. (laughs) I was thinking we could add this to our list of things that people said they were going to do about fighting the Turks but didn't (laughs) get round to. (laughs) He was accused of embezzling funds. On March 26th, he was summoned by Pope Sixtus IV to present himself in Rome within nine days or face, quote, the gravest penalties, including but not limited to the loss of all goods, privileges, offices and rank, to be followed by expulsion from the order, excommunication and imprisonment. Okay, somebody needed to follow through with that. (laughs) Please. Nope. (laughs) Rome obviously didn't trust him to come since just six days later, a papal commission also wrote to the Bishop of Augsburg, asking him to determine, quote, 
as secretly and cautiously as could be done, unquote, whether Kramer was still in the city and ordering him to be detained if he was. The commission further specified that all money, silver and jewels of Kramer, were to be recovered and entrusted to someone of greater reliability. <laughs> okay, if he's already known to be um, sketchy, why were people listening to him? I don't understand. I didn't understand. That was the bit I didn't understand. Okay. <laughs> he just goes up and up and up. Although the conclusions of the affair is undocumented, Kramer was evidently not convicted of anything serious since he retained his position within the Inquisition and was back in papal good graces by the following summer. It's possible the charges were dropped when Kramer attacked in print an Albanian archbishop who was calling for the reform of the papacy. But, ah, yeah, he was never trusted with money again. Good. He was trusted with people. Which is worse. Yes. It was after this that Kramer and Sprenger received the papal bull from Pope Innocent VIII. We do get through the popes at this time. It was a declaration of the Pope's will which expressed the true danger of witchcraft and demanded that all Christian authorities assist his inquisitors in prosecuting these heretics. Failure to do so would lead to excommunication. So now you could be excommunicated if you didn't cooperate with Kramer. Wow. And yet he's not saying witches, he's saying heretics in that. Witches were tried under heresy. Okay. Yeah. Kramer would later claim that this papal bull was an endorsement of his book, Manius Maleficarum, but it really wasn't because he hadn't written the book yet. Oh. Yeah. So he's a liar. Yep. <laughs> very much so. Really very much so. a liar. So. What a perfect person. <laughs> Glad you're in the church. By 1485, Kramer was easily the most experienced inquisitor in Germany and was held in high esteem in Rome, oh despite the word. fact that he'd been in prison, embezzled funds, and had been accused of a fray. Oh, my goodness. And this is the year that saw the witch trials in Innsbruck, which we'll take a look at in detail in a minute. But just to say that that doesn't show him in a very good light. 1486, Kramer and possibly Sprenger wrote the Manius Maleficarum, which we'll obviously come back to. And then in 1488, he was in trouble again. This time he'd issued an illegal dispensation. I think there was a lot of that going on there, wasn't there? Yes, there was. Mm. Well, there was one of the printers was accused of printing. Caxton. Caxton yeah. was. Mm. Caxton. He was appointed preacher in Salzburg Cathedral in 1491. But just two years later, it was taken away from him again. Not sure why. <laughs> because he's a bad person. <laughs> he was not called upon to advise at the large witch trials in Metz and Koblenz, which is odd, given that he was held in such esteem. I, be I began to wonder whether he was held in esteem mainly by Kramer mm. rather than the Pope and the rest of the church. But he does keep getting promoted and he was praised by his superiors. Pope Sixtus described him as a man who should be commended for his... Quote, zeal for religion, knowledge of letters, integrity of life, integrity, constancy of faith, and other praiseworthy virtues and merits, unquote. Like what? Not sure. Well, zeal in religion, can't deny that one. Yes, mm. but everything else? No. Mm. No. In 1499, the Pope, Alexander VI this time, gave him powers to proceed against heretics, mainly Waldensians, in Bohemia and Moravia. 
Cramer went on to write other publications, mainly about heresy, and he died in 1505. And as he's described on Wikipedia as a German author, there's a bit more to him than yes, that. Yes, but good riddance. Too bad he wrote enough to keep it going. Yes, and it was extremely... Well, uh, a lot of people followed the book, but anyway, we'll get to that in a little while. But we're going back now to 1484-85, and we can look in detail at the trials which for which we have the most evidence. Okay. Those in Ravensburg and Innsbruck. These shed light on Kramer's beliefs and personality, neither of which are very nice. <laughs> Whereabouts are those towns? Uh, they were in the Holy Roman Empire. Okay. I've been to Innsbruck. I'm trying to think where it is. It's, I can't remember which country it's in, but I have been there because I remember going up a mountain in a coach and this was before smoking bands and someone was smoking a pipe and I felt very ill. Oh no! <laughs> That's my only memory of it. In Ravensburg, Kramer arrived and immediately began to preach against witchcraft and a number of townsfolk, fired up by this, started denouncing people and eight women were burned at the stake. So, result! You know, that's what he, that's what he came for and that's what he got. Oh my goodness. But in Ravensburg, he mainly received support from the authorities. There was some resistance, but it was mostly support. But the next year, while the Battle of Bosworth's going on over the water, because mm -hmm. it's August we're talking about, Kramer was in Innsbruck, where he intended to have a repeat performance of the previous trials. The trial of Helena Schuberin. Kramer claimed that Innsbruck was riddled with witches, so he set to work flushing them out. Do we know what made him think that? Oh, he thinks that wherever he goes. It's oh, not just Innsbruck. Okay. Yeah. The world is riddled with witches. You and I would be in so much trouble. Wouldn't we just? <laughs> we have opinions. <laughs> and also, we talk to each other over thousands of miles. Yes, we are witches. Yes. He presented himself to Georg Golser, the Bishop of Innsbruck, to ask him, or rather, I suppose, given that he's got this papal bull threatened to excommunicate anyone who didn't assist him, to tell him to give him his support. The papal bull was distributed around the region, offering an indulgence of 40 days for those who would denounce any witches. Which I was thinking, it was puny, really, because do you remember that printer who printed Jura's woodcut? Yes. And at the bottom, he said that if you said your prayers in front of it, he offered you a remission of 20,000 years. Yes. Well, Kramer's only offering 40 days. Mm. Mm. But I suppose if you're going to being put through a mincer, I suppose 40 days is 40 days, isn't it? Yeah. Leaflets and posters were put up in churches and town halls, demanding that anyone with knowledge of witchcraft come forward. And of course people do. Well, they do, because it said that anyone who had knowledge but didn't come forward would be in big trouble. Yeah, but then you're making stuff up. Honestly, these people are making stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that should get you in even more trouble. No, I think you're definitely seeing it through 21st century goggles. <sighs> That's not how they thought. Because he was soon inundated with accusations, and from this, he narrowed the number of suspects down to 50. 50? 5-0. Five 5-0. Zero. Five zero. But wow. the trial we're going to look at contained 14 names, one of which was... Helena Schuberin. I've seen her described in several sources as an outspoken woman. 
but I think I'd prefer the word brave. Yes. She was accused of spitting at Kramer as she passed him in the street and saying, Fie on you, you bad monk. May the falling evil take you. Good. She'd also deliberately avoided his sermons against witchcraft and told others to do the same. And at the one sermon she did attend, she kept shouting out that Kramer was an evil man doing the devil's work. So really, I mean, she had a target target on her by that point, I should think. Yeah, but seriously brave. Knowing Very. what's going to happen. Wow. Very brave. It was said that Helena already had a reputation for sorcery. But I don't know, did this reputation exist before Kramer came to town? What is the difference um, between sorcery and witchcraft? Maybe sorcery is more specific. I think sorcery is actually using... I'm not sure, to tell you the truth, but I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I have a sort of gut feeling that sorcery is, is the actual process of putting spells on people, whereas witchcraft is a more general... Okay. ...incorporates the whole... Caboodle. I keep thinking of David Eddings. <laughs> David Eddings has witchcraft as something that you develop through the outside world, and sorcery comes from within you. You don't need to bring in little, like, herbs and stuff. Oh, right. But I oh, don't maybe. think that's how the medieval people thought of it. <laughs> she was accused of mingling with other suspected heretics. She had supposedly sickened another woman in order to have an affair with her husband and was rumoured to have murdered a knight she'd once been spurned by using magical poison. Which mm. makes you wonder, why didn't she use normal poison? Yeah, that would just as well. Ask that. It also makes you wonder why she hadn't been put on trial for murdering somebody, because... Murder's yes. an offence, whether you're a witch or not. But yeah. Unless, of course, it hadn't happened. This should have been an open, open and shut case, as many women had been burned for less. However, Kramer chose this case to test out a few of his theories, okay. since for him, she was the perfect subject. Okay. Also, we got it in for her by now. She spoke her mind, she was said to be promiscuous, and she didn't know her place. Yes. So as far as Kramer is concerned, loose sexual morals were automatically linked to witchcraft. And so that was the line of his questioning. Of course. Mm. He questioned her in such lurid detail about her sex life that the rest of the judges were shocked. <laughs> and Bishop Golf's representative immediately suspended the trial for a while, demanding that in future Kramer should change his line of questioning. <laughs> <laughs> When the court was reconvened, Kramer was horrified to discover that a new addition had been made to the court. A lawyer. Oh. A lawyer for the defendant. Really? Yeah. Johann Moe began to point out, he's the, the lawyer, began to point out the countless legal faults Kramer was making in this case and demanded that the charges be dismissed. Whereupon, all 14 suspects were released. Awesome! <laughs> that's unexpected. That's very it? unexpected. I thought he was just going to be executed with them. Well, that's the way Kramer would have liked it. Uh, before we, yeah, before we raise a cheer for the common sense verdict of the Innsbruck trial, you still have to remember that all the learned men in the court would have believed in witchcraft, yeah. although they may have had different ideas as to its form. In the Malleus Maleficarum, Kramer stresses the dangers of allowing the defendant to have a lawyer. Really? So now he's going to take away their ability to defend themselves? Ideally, in an ideal world, you do that, yes. <sighs> but if it is unavoidable, then the judge should appoint a, quote, upright person 
who is not suspected of being fussy about legal niceties. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. But if the lawyer is seen to be actually committed to his client's innocence, then it should be assumed that he's been bribed because what other reason would there be for trying to release a witch? Oh, my. You know, I... I was listening to Totalis Ranking of American Presidents the other day, and Jamie keeps saying, what is wrong with these people when it comes to slavery? And I feel that way about this today. What is wrong with people? (laughs) Why? That's why I think it's so so interesting to try and get into their minds, because their minds work work differently. Completely differently. It's not just that they've got different ideas. I think if you've been brought up with different ideas right from the very beginning, your mind works differently. Yes. So it's so hard to understand. Sort of worm your way in. I mean, we haven't put, we haven't, uh, it would have come out by the time this has come out. We, um, the, on the Patreon thing, um, <laughs> talking about Pico de Mirandola. The ideas behind that are baffling. Yeah. Really baffling. <laughs> Interesting, fascinating, but baffling. Yeah, almost completely incomprehensible, really. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully we, we will comprehend it at the end of the program, though, won't we? Mm-hmm. End of the episode. Yeah, about these lawyers, Kramer says that those who, quote, strive to conduct the proceedings falsely, unquote, which means preventing it from being, quote, summary, straightforward and informal, unquote, is himself at risk of being accused of heresy. Yeah. Mm. If you defend a witch, you are a witch yourself. Yeah. One of the keystones to the Manius Maleficarum is to show inquisitors how to circumvent the law. Oh, wow. Mm. Kramer found the law in irritation. And you can sort of see it. He was prosecuting universal spiritual evil. Evil with a capital E. Yeah. And he was being thwarted by mere man-made... Worldly rules. rules. Yeah. Mm. So part three of the book argues that the practice of harmful magic is so enormous a crime that one must be prepared to abandon legal inhibitions when dealing with it. Which, as the historian P.G. Maxwell Stewart says, is an argument with modern parallels. Yes. Terrorism. You would have thought that Kramer would then, would then slink out of Innsbruck under the cover of darkness. No, no, I could see him storming out of Innsbruck, screaming at the top of his lungs how everybody in that town is going to hell. Oh, no. He's not going anywhere. Uh-oh. <laughs> One thing you have to know about Henry Kramer is that he's always right. Uh-oh. He hung around Innsbruck for months, collecting evidence and harassing suspects and witnesses, even attempting at one point to kidnap a couple of people he'd accused of witchcraft. <gasps> wow. And it was around this time that Bishop Golser had had enough and told Kramer that he could no longer ensure his safety. And that was Golser being polite. Because, yeah, eventually he stopped mincing his words and told Kramer that, quote, he was to do nothing further in his diocese save leave it, unquote. Did he get excommunicated for that? He didn't. Really? Yeah. And that, that was when he said that Kramer was unhinged and senile. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Golsa wrote to a friend that the trial, quote, clearly demonstrated his, Kramer's, foolishness, since he he presumed much that had not been proved, unquote. So I don't think Bishop Golsa's quite got the hang of this, has it? (laughs) No. How Kramer does things. No. 
Kramer eventually left when the bishop threatened to expel him by force, which, as you said, is a brave thing to do since Kramer had that papal bull saying that anyone who didn't support him could be excommunicated. And he didn't try to use it? Apparently not. Hmm. I'm not sure whether Golsa was particularly close to the the, the Pope. I'm not sure. I don't know, but that's pretty... um, That's brave, too. I want to say ballsy. That's pretty brave. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the bishop's allowed to be ballsy, I suppose. (laughs) And this was the time that Kramer began to write the Malleus Maleficarum. Annoyed that lawyers had pointed out that he hadn't been following the rules, he decided he was going to write his own rules. So let's have a look at the book itself, the Malleus Maleficarum, or the Hammer of the Witches. The book's divided into three parts. Part one was for theologians and gave the arguments explaining that witchcraft was very real. Part two was for preachers and was largely anecdotal, giving preachers ammunition with which to convince his parishioners, you know, simple folk who won't understand complicated arguments, <laughs> but who might like a good story. There are some good stories in there. And part three was for the prosecutors, taking them through the whole process, accusation, interrogation, confession, and inevitably trial and execution. So the goal of the Malleus Maleficarum is actually to get them to confess, which means that the trial is pretty much one and done because they've already confessed. We'll see in a bit that it's very different between England and the continent as far as these things go. Each chapter within the three parts starts with a question, followed by the answer that some misguided fool might give, followed by Kramer's correct answer. Okay. So in adopting this method, Kramer effectively pronounces that anyone who disagrees with him is heretical. But then he's always believed that. Yes. For instance, if you don't believe in harmful magic and argue that it's all in the imagination of the witch or of those she's meant to have bewitched, then you don't believe in evil spirits, so you are misreading what's been clearly stated in the Bible, and therefore you're an unbeliever. Ooh. And given that Kramer was the papal inquisitor, this was a dangerous place to find yourself in. Yes. The book was given extra credence by the glowing endorsements it carried. Kramer approached the University of Cologne and managed to get four members of the faculty to sign the first two parts of the book to say they were in line with Catholic teaching and that the third was acceptable procedure for future witch trials. Really? 
Other endorsements were more vague and just praised Kramer for his zeal, generally sort of saying keep up the good work. It's now widely believed that these endorsements were either partially or completely forged. Completely. I'm going <laughs> with completely. Evidence for this is that Jakob Sprenger took him to court over it. <laughs> so, Busted. <laughs> presumably, he no longer wanted his name associated with this yeah, whole enterprise. Yeah, because it's lies. Lots and lots of lies. And the academics from Cologne, who'd ostensibly endorsed it, immediately distanced themselves from the book. Kramer also inserted the papal bull, misrepresenting Pope Innocent's words, which have been strictly related to the specific inquisitorial investigation. Or, or. But which Kramer said referred to the book. Is that Pope still alive at this uh, point? Prob probably not by this time. Oh, so you can get away from it with it. Six oh, no, that was Innocent. I think we're on to... Hang on, where are we now? Leo? No, um, Alexander, I think. Okay. He then wrote to Maximilian, who was not yet emperor. And Maximilian appears to have replied, but Kramer doesn't include the text, which has led most scholars to believe that Maximilian didn't say what Kramer had wanted him to say. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't know whether he was lukewarm or damn right hostile. But Kramer just said that Maximilian expressed interest in his work. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> which is a bit, a bit uh, quite clever, really. Cheeky. Hmm. So, I bet that you're the first person to describe Heinrich Kramer as cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a lot of other things, but never cheeky. <laughs> so when the Malleus went to print, it appeared to have the endorsement of the highest secular, ecclesiastical and academic authorities in Christendom. Oh, no. Mm, it would be like having Stephen Fry and David Attenborough or someone put in the blurb on your book these days. Yeah. I mean, sort of the top people. And the fact that these supposed supporters quickly distanced themselves from Kramer, you know, saying, I never said that. And even the Spanish Inquisition was strongly sceptical. Really? It didn't stop the book from selling. No. I mean, when the Spanish Inquisition says, ooh, ooh, I think that's going a bit far. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, dodgy territory. Wow. Yeah. That's really hard to wrap my mind around. I thought they mm. would have gone for anything. Nope. They didn't like this. Ah. The Manius presented witchcraft as a universal struggle between good and evil. Church doctrine had always, always considered it a grievous sin, but definitions of maleficium, that's wrongdoing using sorcery, had okay. always been vague and often contradictory. It had never been seen as a true crisis set to overturn society. And that's what Kramer was saying. Oh, okay. For many clergymen, belief in the power of witchcraft was a sin because it detracted from the omnipotence of God. It was, hyster it was hysterical. It was <laughs> heretical. <laughs> it could be Not hysterical. <laughs> you could say it was hysteria. Yes. In a different way. Because if everybody's at it, then it implies that the devil is more successful than God. Yeah. The Malleus, however, declared that witchcraft was indeed real and had real power over the world, and it then explained how witchcraft took place, what the signs were, and what defences there were available for, against sorcery. And Kramer and Sprenger were both academics, as we've seen them, and they both have master's degrees. Kramer even more so, I think. And that, so they understood the importance of citing their work. And as such, the text is full of quotes from the Bible, from Thomas Aquinas, 
and from various other squalors of unimpeachable credentials. Did they make any of those up, though? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an expert on these people mm. or the Bible, but apparently the vast majority of these quotations were at best misrepresented, at worst completely fabricated. Wow. Hmm. Wow. I'm more shocked about that than the fact that he wants to burn witches. I, it seems so shocking. Well, it just seems... <laughs> I get... I'm getting the feeling that what it is is he thinks it, the ends justify the means. Very much so. No matter Very how so. I do this, as long as they're eradicated, then it's a good thing. But at the same time, it it is shocking because he's supposed to be a priest upholding Christianity. And lying is not upholding Christianity. No. None, none of this seems like somebody you would expect a Christian or something you would expect a Christian priest to be doing. I think it's the case that when people become completely obsessed, and they do say he's a zealot, even zealots say he's, he's the zealot of all, all zealots, It's everything's acceptable, isn't it? Yeah, but that... You're mm. turning yourself into exactly what you're trying to fight. But you're, more, you're doing more good than, than harm. But he isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. trying to look at it from their point of view. I know. <laughs> I just don't want to. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the book has been described as a compendium of literature on demonology in the 15th century, but it really isn't. Kramer very much puts his own idiosyncratic spin on witches and their associations with de demons and the devil. He effectively manufactures what witches were, and this was picked up in the 16th century and led to increased persecution. Within 50 years of the text publication, the definition of witchcraft had stabilised and a category of witchcraft that closely resembled that of the Malleus was wise, widely accepted. Hmm. To distill what Book 3 says, and it is quite disturbing since Wait, its instructions... Wait, how many books are there? They come, it, it's, it's in three parts. Okay. So the last one was the one for prosecutors. Okay. On ha how right. to convict a witch. And it is that, rather than how to find out whether she's innocent or not. I mean, why would she be accused if she was innocent? I mean, <laughs> she wouldn't be. Stands to reason. No. A lot of people still think like that, don't they? Yes, they do. No smoke without no fire. No smoke without fire. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> if the accused is unwilling to admit their guilt and the prosecutors suspect that they're guilty, then torture is to be used. And the Malleus provides a strict process for this. One, the accused is informed that they will be tortured if they don't tell the truth. Two, they're taken away and detained whilst friends of the accused are gathered. These people are then told the gravity of the crimes the accused is on trial for and that a willful confession could avoid the death penalty. They would then be taken to the cell where the accused is, is held and told to beseech them to admit their crime. Three, if this doesn't work, the accused is stripped and prepared for torture. The Malleus preferred the strapado, and I'm not going to describe them, this method. If you're interested, Google it, but it's not nice. And we're not recommending you Google it. <laughs> but before torture is fully inflicted, the torturers act unwilling and upset. You know, this will hurt us more than it will hurt you. And Oh, jeez. It won't. No, 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 it won't. The accused is released from the device and begged to confess their guilt freely. So they're sort of put in it. They're not actually tortured, but they're 
they put in it and they say, no, no, we'll take it off. And, you know, as long as you confess, we won't do it because we don't want to do it. We really right. don't. You're making us very sad. Yeah. And the hope is that this brush with torture, combined with the promise that their lives would be spared, could bring out a confession. Whereupon it would be broken to them that the bit about their lives being spared may have been a bit of an exaggeration. Oh, so we're going to lie to them. I'm going to lie. I mean, if you're torturing people, lying to them is kind of yeah, not there, yeah. is it? <laughs> yeah. If this doesn't work, torture begins. And the Malleus insists that the torture should be, quote, by the usual methods rather than novel or newfangled ones, unquote. Because the old ones are so much more benign, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Torture is torture. Yeah. Five, the question should begin with lesser charges, as they're more likely to be admitted to and then go on to the greater crimes. Six, if they still don't cooperate, they are shown harsher implements of torture, and I can't think of anything harsher than st the strapado, but I guess there are some. Seven, it was often promised that they would not be executed if they denounced others. This was nearly always a lie. If by some chance they really weren't executed, they would receive life imprisonment on a diet of bread and water. Can you imagine that? Life on bread and water. No. It wouldn't last long. No. But Kramer reiterated they were not to be told about this until later. So that's in seven points how to destroy somebody. Pretty much. Mm. And it was lucky for Kramer that he didn't think the law was relevant since these recommendations in his book break the law in several places, even for that time. It was not legal in the Holy Roman Empire to repeat torture unless new evidence appeared. Really? Mm. So torture was okay, but only once? Yes. Unless new evidence came up and then you could re-torture. Yeah. But the Malleus said that the repeated sessions of torture were not repeated sessions of torture. They were simply the continuation of the last session with a benevolent break in between. A benevolent break. But it was illegal. Legal requirement was that any confessions made under torture be confirmed without it. But the Malleus suggested, all right, you don't torture them, but you threaten to torture them if they refuse to repeat their confession. This was also illegal. <laughs> so there were rules. There were rules to all these things. Except he was going way beyond them. Like, no, throw oh, yeah. the rule book out. Mm. Convicted witches were punished under the law of unre unrepentant and relapsed heretics, as I said. And the Malleus repeatedly states that if the trial has to be conducted by the church, either by the local bishop or by the papal inquisitor, those sentenced to death were handed over to the secular authorities, as the church was not able to conduct executions itself. It does seem it was allowed to torture people, though. It also suggests that witches should be carried in a basket to the place of execution, what? without being allowed to touch the ground. Why? This was because a witch's power could return to her if she stepped on the floor, allowing her to escape or to curse those sending her to burn. Uh, that's <laughs> unique. Well, so, we've heard about all these witches. What do they actually do? Well, according to Kramer, they stir up hailstorms and bolts of lightning. They cause sterility in people and animals. They can make children fall into water. They can make horses go mad while they're being ridden. They can change the minds of judges and sheriffs so that they cannot hurt them. And this was quite a bugbear for Kramer, as we'll see. 
And presumably he's thinking of Bishop Golser in this. So thing. every time he lost, it was because she was a witch. It was just yet another... It's because the prosecutors had been bewitched by, by the witch. Wow. They can make themselves and others remain silent during torture. So if you're incredibly brave and you don't name names, it's because you're bewitched. They can produce trembling of the hands and shuddering of the mind in those who arrest them. They know how to reveal things which are concealed from other people. Now, I've come across this in Elizabethan times, that it was illegal for people to, sh to tell people where things were using sorcery. And it was a specific thing. I'm not quite sure. What I, it was all to do with treasure, that you, you didn't want people digging up treasure because they had the advantage of sorcery. What? <laughs> so okay. Is your head about to explode? <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying. I'm honestly trying <laughs> to think the way they thought, but my brain is just going, no, that's ridiculous. Well, good luck with Pico de Mirandola then. Um, they can foretell the future events. They can change people's minds to excessive love or excessive hate. Isn't that interesting? That, to me, is easier to understand because we still have fortune tellers. Hmm. But the treasure thing is just... And love potions as well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we don't have love potions, but it's oh, a thing. Oh, I'm pretty sure somebody out there is selling love potions. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> uh, what else can they do? Oh, they can destroy the child in a woman's in a mother's womb just by touching the mother. They can consecrate their own children to evil spirits, and they practice carnal filthiness with evil spirits. Of course, they do. Kramer tells a merchant who refused to lower his prices for a certain woman. And she became angry and left, threatening that soon you'll wish you'd agreed. <gasps> and no sooner had the man turned around than his mouth stretched hideously all the way back to his ears and remained like that for some considerable time. I mean, quite honestly, if witches are getting up to this sort of thing, don't they deserve to be burned? Yeah. I mean, poor man, he must have looked ridiculous. How Kramer reinvented the witch. So if Kramer effectively invented the figure of the witch, what sort of person was she? And I say she advisedly, as we'll see later. So let's have a look at the witch according to Kramer. And this won't be pretty. Okay. We, we come back to some very strange idea about the human, and particularly the female body, which are fascinating as well as unsettling. The most important and far-reaching change that Kramer made to the traditional view of the witch was that there was an automatic link between the witch and the devil. If someone admitted to being a witch, they were also therefore admitting to consorting with the devil himself. Okay. This had not been the case previously, so the crime has suddenly ratcheted up significantly. Really? Hmm. Kramer's witch was a creature like none before. She was a composite creature made up of witches from folk tales, confessions made by accused people, often preempted by the prosecutor and almost certainly under torture, and also now it took on a, a disturbing sexual element which I think is a real indictment of celibacy in the Catholic Church. Yes. Since this came largely from Kramer, the Dominican. An element which is strangely lacking, given Kramer's academic credentials, was the theological. This creature didn't exist in previous theological teachings. Kramer was generally, if not always, hearing the testimony of common people, not the learned. It was then Kramer's job to take this hearsay evidence and fit it into the already, already accepted view of evil. And these sometimes made uncomfortable bedfellows to make the two halves stick 
Kramer had to accept that an astonishingly wide array of practices and behaviours could be put down to witchcraft. Magic of almost any kind, animal transformation, stories of fairies or changelings, magical flight, the evil eye, all could be interpreted as direct evidence of witchcraft. And we'll come back to the evil eye in a bit. It has interesting connections to what we heard about in the human body episode. Given that Kramer was an inquisitor, he must have had a huge assortment of strange narratives wrung out of these poor people. I mean, what wouldn't they have admitted to? So he had to manipulate three aspects of his work. He had to work within the rules and adopt the accepted view of God and his influence on the world. He had to incorporate all those stories about people, usually women, who transgressed from normal social behaviour. Within that framework... Yeah, and he had a group of symbols and beliefs and narrative structures that he could he could shuffle all these bits about until they fitted the image that he wanted to create of an archetypal witch. Okay. He had parameters, but within those parameters, he was pretty much free to do what he wanted. So, yeah, in the 16th century, when the witch trials began in earnest, inquisitors no longer had to define witchcraft because Kramer had already defined it, which is a scary right. thought. Yes. His image became the image for what a witch was, and that is why it is such a pivotal book. Kramer's interpretation of the witch was interesting because unlike other theologians who took no account of popular belief, I mean, why would they listen to peasants, Kramer incorporated such stories into his scholarly conception, and some of these narratives were just plain weird, and yet they appeared in the Manius Maleficarum without any suggestion that they could have been in any way made up. Kramer's theories both fed and fed on the confessions of people convicted of maleficium. He already had his own ideas, which, when put to the accused, could be confirmed and possibly embellished by them in the hope that it would lead to more lenient punishment. And at that point, you're being tortured. You're going to say whatever needs to be said to get yep. the torture to stop. And these embellishments would then be added to his demonology. Oh. Kramer heard about a town that was being decimated by plague. There was no other way to interpret this disaster except to blame a woman who had been recently buried. She's dead. Oh, well, that's no excuse. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> For some reason. Oh, I shouldn't really say that. I mean, vampires were dead. Zombies are dead. Well, I suppose you'd class this woman under the zombie category, I guess. Um, for, uh, for some reason, and given that this woman was six feet under, it's hard to see how they came to this conclusion. It was said that she was, quote, gradually swallowing the shroud in which she'd been buried and that the plague could not cease until the entire shroud had been swallowed and consumed in her stomach, unquote. How did they come up with that? I have no idea. No idea. But sure enough, because it wouldn't be much of a story, it didn't prove to be true. Would of it? course, they opened up the grave. They, yeah, they dug up the grave. When her body was exhumed, half the shroud was seen to have disappeared into her gullet. Which must have been macabre. <laughs> I think somebody just said, this is what we're going to say, so everybody see this. Unless she'd been accidentally buried alive and she'd gone mad. Oh, eating her shroud. More horrific thought. Sorry, that is that was horrible. Sorry, scrap <laughs> that. <laughs> um... The town, yeah, the, the town officials had the corpse decapitated and the plague dissipated. It's all's well that ends well. But I thought, no, it wouldn't because she hasn't finished eating it. Yes. Let you... her finish eating it first and then decapitate her if that's what you're into. Yeah. This sort of story was completely at odds with the teachings of the church. But Kramer said it was perfectly possible, 
if the woman had been a witch, and God was punishing the town for allowing the witch to live. Well, she didn't live. She, she died, didn't live. They, she didn't, they didn't kill her, which they should have done. Oh, my goodness. This is, it really is mental gymnastics. It is. Where does the devil fit into all this? Well, how does the devil fit into all this, given that he hadn't at all until Kramer and a few other writers on the subject of witchcraft put him there? Really? I just assumed mm. that it was always the work of the devil. Now you've got Kramer to thank for this. Ah. Huh. Well, I mean, specifically, yeah, evil came from the devil and witchcraft was evil. But on a one-to-one -one basis, <laughs> he's now changed it. Wow. Wow. Because it's now no longer just the personification of evil in a vague supernatural way. He was a real entity who met with witches in a physical, extremely physical way. Okay. So witches submitted to degrading acts with the devil and his demons, and they would meet together with other witches, which was handy because that meant they could name names. You know, they were given gentle questioning. Oh, is this the way covens were developed? Was through this yeah. Malleus Maleficarum? Yeah, they'd meet at the Sabbath okay. and meet with the devil. And the devil would then impart his magical powers to them. This threw up a problem as to of whether demons could take a physical form in this way. But Thomas Aquinas had described the mechanism by which demons, pure spirits, could create bodies made of thickened air. And with these, they could not only appear to humans, but also simulate human bodily operations. So it's all right. It's all been, it's all been explained. <laughs> but where does God fit into all this? He's probably shaking his head and saying, what have I done? Yes, what's wrong with you people? What is God doing while all this consorting with the devil is going on? Well, this is done with God's permission. It had to be, otherwise the devil would be more powerful than God. So God... Oh, I don't like that. No, not many people did. There was a lot, of, a lot of complaints about that one. But luckily, not everyone is susceptible to the malevolence of the witch. Certain people fall under God's protection, and he doesn't let them be bewitched. And these people include clergymen, saints, and, purely coincidentally, inquisitors. Oh, yes. Which is handy. Now, do they include nuns? in their clergyman definition? We're coming to nuns. Oh, no. <laughs> no, nuns is... Yeah, don't worry. Not too bad. Too bad. <laughs> Not too bad doesn't mean much in this episode. No, it doesn't. God did say he wouldn't send another flood. Did he send witches instead? Apparently, he allowed it since he wanted to test the innocent and increase their virtue and punish sinners more severely by allowing them to increase the enormity of their crimes. Yes, this is very much the Old Testament God, not the happy, yes. clappy New Testament God. He was angry at Christians' ever-increasing sins, which when you looked at the way the popes behave, you can, you know, he might have had yeah. every justification. So he allows demons to wreak havoc on earth as punishment. The very existence of witches is proof that the prophecies about the end of times are being fulfilled and the Day of Judgment is approaching. By prosecuting these witches, Kramer and his cronies were helping to cleanse the world of sin in readiness for the Day of Judgment. Oh, yeah. But I thought, if this was what God wanted, 
surely it could be thought to be against the will of God since it allowed it or even encouraged it. So indirectly, he employs the witches to punish sinners and then Kramer comes along and burns them. Yeah, so he's now interfering with God. What a theological quagmire, really, isn't yes. it? Yes. Ah, it's made more complicated, <laughs> you'll be glad to hear, that since both the demon and the witch work with the permission of God, surely neither the demon nor the witch is at fault. This is not Kramer's thinking. This is slightly more logical thinking. Okay, because I was about to say that. Yes. What? <laughs> the witch could be, could be seen merely as the weapon that was used to perpetrate the crime. And in murder cases, you don't prosecute the gun, you prosecute the gunman. So as often happens, theologians have argued themselves down a dead-end road because, well, the gunman in this case would be God. Oh. Hmm. Ooh, that's not okay. Yes, and this is why many late medieval commentators express concern about the sort of witchcraft is described by Kramer, since it was an insult to God. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure you can now see that far from being cruel and inhumane, if you look at the long term... The Inquisitors were saving the world and just in the nick of time. No. I think Kramer, <laughs> Kramer would see it as lopping off a gangrenous limb to save the whole body. Uh, I can sort of understand that he thought that, but with all of the... It's not even gymnastics. That's mental contortionism. That is, yeah. It, it, no. He'd, he'd, he'd made a statement that once you worked it through to its logical conclusion put God in rather a difficult situation. Yes. And yeah. put you in a difficult situation. You would be committing blasphemies, really, if you're going against God. People said he did commit blasphemy, yeah. But you can understand now why Kramer was so baffled that someone like Bishop Golser should have put obstacles in his way. I mean, he should have been welcoming him. I think this guy is definitely certifiable. <sighs> If, he would be now. Well, even was he then? That's, that's I think the thing. he you just was. Cannot... If you have other people who are willing to say, "Get out of my town," mm. I mean, he did say he was unhinged. Yeah, and no, nobody, nobody seemed. Yeah, people had good words for him, like the Pope did, saying that he was zealous and good at his job. Nobody says what a nice man he was. No. And they let him continue. where witchcraft is ridiculous. Yes, we do. They lived in a world where witchcraft was part of life. 
and a terrifying part. Yeah. Kramer's link with witchcraft and the devil threw up a few existential questions. Is commingling of material and non-material worlds possible? And does it actually happen? In other words, can demons take a bodily form? And if, if demons and the devil can do it, well, why not God? <laughs> yes. How is it that human beings, who are so much less powerful than demons, are apparently able to enforce the terms of their contract with them and oblige demons to do their will, which the, oh. the people claim to? Has the devil really been granted such great power to commit as many evil deeds as witches confess to? So, saying, is is it really happening everywhere? I mean, is this necessary? God seems to have gone way overboard with this. Yes. How much could you believe the testimony of witches, or of their accusers for that matter, when the devil was capable of altering the balance of the humours in the body and so bringing about delusions and possibly madness? So you're relying on the testimony testament of people who might have sort of having their strings pulled by the devil. Yeah. Wow. Moreover, scriptural support for all this is extremely meagre. Despite all the somewhat dubious quotes that Kramer included in the Malleus Maleficarum, there is no mention of any demonic pacts in the Bible apart from an obscure reference to a covenant with death, Isaiah 28 verse 15, although there are some references to male magicians, the magicians of Egypt in the Old Testament and Simon Magus in the New, and of course the Magi, the wise men. Yes. The only female sorceress mentioned was, quote, the woman that hath a familiar spirit, unquote, or the witch of Endor, who raised the soul of the prophet Samuel. Which doesn't sound like an evil thing. And none of these instances mention a pact with the devil. So where did that idea come from? I think Kramer's fetid little mind. Yeah. So it took, it really ultimately comes down to one person who developed the that's idea what of I, that's, Yeah, that was, I was amazed by that. <laughs> yes, how much influence he, one he turned out to had. have. Hmm. Wow. We really shouldn't be surprised. Look at what Hitler managed to do by yeah. messing yeah. around with fact. Hmm. Creating an yeah. us and them North Korea. is very powerful. Wow. The other major dilemma that theologians had to battle with was whether this magic was real or imagined. The canon Episcopi, written around 900 AD, or CE if you prefer, stated that witchcraft and magic were delusions and that those who believed in such things, quote, had been seduced by the devil in dreams and visions, unquote. But obviously Kramer was very much team real. Yes. For instance, in descriptions of flight, did it happen or did they imagine it? Kramer believed in the reality of flight. Quote, the way they go about being transported is as follows. So you can take notes if you want. Under instruction of an evil spirit, they make ointment from body parts of children, particularly those they have killed before they were baptised. They smear it on a chair or a piece of wood, and when they've done this, they are carried at once into the air, day or night, in full view of everyone, or, brackets, if this is what they want, close brackets, invisibly, unquote. So carrying them in a basket, did the basket have a lid so they couldn't fly away? <laughs> I don't know, actually. <laughs> 
But I did go down a brief rabbit hole because it made me wonder when witches started to be envisaged riding broomsticks. And there's marginalia in a manuscript of 1440 that shows witches riding brooms. And there are images in 1451 in a book by a French poet, Martin Lefranc, Le Champion des Dames, the Defender of Ladies. The first witch to confess to riding a broom was a man, Guillaume Edlin. And he was really? a French priest. Mm. And he was arrested in, in 1453. That was the year of the fall of Constantinople. Yes. <laughs> And tried for, he was tried for witchcraft after publicly criticising the church's stand on witchcraft. Okay, you cannot defend the witches. He came, his confession came under torture, which he retracted afterwards, but he was still imprisoned for life. So what a sad and terrible thing that little story implies. My goodness. This is, this is disturbing in a creepy way, because... I would think that this could not catch on now, but the whole robot bird thing has now made me realize that it is still very possible. Yes, I mean, we've seen with people worrying about Muslims just how easy it is to create a, create a demon Yeah, in people's minds, yes. which is terrible, horrifying. Anyway. Kramer and his fellow inquisitors believed that witches met the devil and his demons in a physical form, and the devil enabled them to fly, and they consorted sexually with demons. Whereas others held that the devil was just messing with the witch's head, manipulating their senses to make them believe they had done all these things. So, they're a victim? Yes, the devil seems to be in this either way. <laughs> but Kramer wasn't entirely averse to this idea. He believed it was possible... But he also believed that just because some people are delusional doesn't mean it doesn't happen to other people. Hmm. So now it would be a good time to look at our old friend, the Tudor Brain. Uh-oh. An old, old friend to patrons. <laughs> <laughs> and to see how the devil would be able to trick it. <laughs> Demons create images which are then picked up by the interior senses, stored and brought out when necessary at which time they are conveyed to the exterior senses and cause the human to believe that what they are seeing is real. Delusions, in other words. Mm -hmm. The exterior senses are the touch, sight, taste, etc. The interior senses are the ones we looked at before in the Patreon episode, The Human Body. Imagination, estimation, cogitation, memory and common sense. So, presumably the devil has influence over that little worm that controls the memory. Yes. Kramer, I thought we thought it looked, in your picture, it looked a bit devilish. <laughs> <laughs> Kramer said that demons could trick people by manipulating the relationship between the interior and exterior senses. So if you confuse imagination and sight, for instance, illusions can be formed. Right. Which is how we would consider it now. We just wouldn't consider it being an external parts source. Of the brain. Yeah. Yes. The information that the demons store in the memory gives the rest of the brain something to work with. If the information isn't coming in through the eyes and going through the usual channels, and it isn't something you'd normally see, like flying on a broomstick, mm -hmm. the image has to be implanted in the memory so that all the other facets of the brain, the estimation, the cogitation, imagination, etc., will accept it as true. So you've got an internal logic going on in your head. This is really convoluted. Mm. But it is quite a good explanation of a psychotic episode. Yes, it is. 
the belief that it had all been imagined could severely hamper Kramer and the other Inquisitors in their work. Right, because then they're not actually doing what they're being accused of. No. And are you guilty for just thinking of it? I hope not. Yeah. During the first major witch hunt to break out in France in 1459, the chief prosecutor was not willing to believe the accused's testimony that they had been able to fly. He said, quote, it's not possible to go flying through the air on a stick, unquote. <laughs> Adding scathingly that those who believed it were more heretical than those who confessed it in court. Oh, good. Yeah, I hope somebody raised a cheer. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know what happened to the person accused, though. I expect they got burned anyway. I'm hoping By the they mid away. Mm. I, it's going to be a happy story in my head. <laughs> yes, well, Helena Schubert did. By the mid-1520s, even the Spanish Inquisition and the Holy Office of the Inquisition, that's the Italian equivalent, were issuing guidelines telling judges not to accept witches' confessions at face value and warning that these testimonies could be a sign of delusions. Yeah. In fact, they largely rejected the demonology theory entirely. The Spanish Inquisition did. And the, and the Italian one, yeah, both of them. Wow. By the early 1580s, the Holy Office strictly forbade local inquisitors from prosecuting people who witches claimed to have seen at the Sabbat, which is the covenant thing, the, the meetings between witches and demons, since the devil may have been putting these images in the witch's head. Okay. So the devil's still there. You can't get yeah. rid of the devil. <laughs> but he's, uh, he's fiddling with their minds. Midwife witches and the evil eye. For Kramer, the most evil and dangerous witches were midwife witches. They specialised in abortions and regularly stole away newborns to be sacrificed to the devil, given to demons to be corrupted, or just by eating them themselves. Ew! Yeah, I mean, one good thing, midwives had long been thought to have been particularly susceptible to witchcraft accusations, which when you think of the high mortality of children and mothers... Yeah. You can see where it would come from. Yeah. But this recent research has shown that they were not statistically overrepresented among the accused. So hopefully they weren't accused more than most mm. people. And a quick look at the evil eye, otherwise known as the fascination. We already discovered that sight was seen to be a more physical, a more concrete thing than we imagine today. Yes. So how the evil eye works. It's not an innate power that people possess. It stems from violent feelings which transmit themselves out through the eye and which in turn communicate them to adjacent air and so by a series of dispersals the anger reaches the object that aroused these feelings and so brings bad luck. Hmm. It must be very specific. But there's great power in the eyes and these could be strengthened with the assistance of demons. Kramer accepted as an established fact that the gaze of certain pe persons, menstruating women for instance, had a natural power capable of bringing out physical effects. But when you think about how many women would have been menstruating at any one time, yes. you wouldn't have dared go out in case one of them looked at you, would you? No. He also believed that in some angry or disturbed old women, these gays may be sufficient to do real harm. But you, you can see how the theory would come about, because if you cross someone and they glare at you, and then you walk away and trip over a yes. log and break your leg... Cause and effect. I mean, yeah, because there's no such thing as coincidence. Yeah. 
It's a horrible world, a dangerous world when there's no such thing as coincidence. I wonder how terrified people were. Like, well, we talk time. about doing an episode on fear, aren't we? I thought mm-hmm. that would be quite interesting. How do you cure yourself from witchcraftery? Well, you can't. <laughs> you can only be burned at the stake. <laughs> well, this is if someone's put put uh, put a hexed put a spell you. on you. Yes. yes, hexed you. A mere human cure is is impossible because witchcraft is the work of the devil and beyond a mortal's natural capacity to undo. So even prayer to God wouldn't help. You could try asking God, but a lot of good it will do you. Oh, especially if God's the reason why it's happening. Precisely. If He gave oh, permission in the first place. You could turn to the church and they could try to exorcise demons, but the best they will do is keep them at bay because the church obviously can't be expected to countermand something that has been allowed by God. Right. The victim has a real problem. And ironically, the only place they can go to get the sorcery lifted in Kramer's image of witchcraft... Is another witch? Is to the demons themselves, yes. And that's not allowed. No, that (laughs) sounds really dangerous. Hmm. Yeah, fighting fire with fire. And, yeah, well, I was going to say you're going to get burnt, but yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was awful. Your best bet is prevention rather than cure. Douse your house with holy water. Hang up written charms of the type that we were told before were frowned upon by the church, but were usually written by the priest. And it's important to protect the thresholds of your house to keep evil spirits outside, or to keep evil outside, so place holy wax and herbs on your door and just keep praying. I've never heard of holy wax. No, I'd not come across that one. I suppose if you sprinkle holy water, then the first bit of rain, it's going to get washed away. But holy wax at least will yeah. stick. It sounds to me like something that somebody would sell you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I might be there, being... can we interest you in the Brooklyn Bridge? <laughs> <laughs> Why was this book seen as misogynistic? Oh, oh I don't know. <laughs> where, where to start? <laughs> Kramer's line of questioning at the trial in Innsbruck of Helena Schuberin even caused the magistrates to blush. But why did he take that line? Was he just a frustrated, dirty old man? Yes. Right, on to the next thing then. <laughs> Yes, he probably was. Highly frustrated, dirty old man. But he was also playing out some of the theories he'd adopted over the years as an inquisitor. In his opinion, women were more prone to witchcraft for several reasons, and promiscuous women ratcheted this up several more notches. His reasoning, if you can call it that, was as follows. His most repeated claim in this book was that women are all driven by carnal lust. And since the devil thrives on such passions, a bond is simple to make between the would-be witch and Satan. The lust of women leads them to partner with the devil and bear his demonic children. And the devil grants them power in return. And then they're driven by lust to gain new lovers and to punish old ones and to use their newly acquired powers to do so. So this justifies the inquisitors to prosecute particularly promiscuous women on the grounds that they are most likely to be in league with the devil. So, yeah, and there's an internal logic, as we often find with these things. Yes. And that reinforces the belief. Unlike educated male magicians, the precursors of 
John Dee, for instance. Yes. These illiterate women did not usually sign their pact with the devil, but was actually John. I have to take that back. John Dee never signed a pact with the devil. Um, but it was said to seal it with sex. So they consummated the relationship. They did. Which does imply that the devil preferred to have sex with decrepit, watery old crones, really, doesn't it? Oh, Since yeah. that's, the, that's your archetypal image of, of the witch. Yes. That's not the only reason why women make up the vast majority of witches. Women are more easily convinced of anything. And so demons find more success in manipulating women. They talk too much and blurt out their secrets and then have to resort to sorcery to silence those people to whom they've told their secrets. Wow. Women were likely to commit maleficium because they were more vengeful and envious than men. They're natural-born liars, so you don't find any men lying. No, of course And they're not. proud and vain, and their hearts are ruled by malice. <sighs> Women are more likely to come down with dysentery, which makes them feverish and therefore, quote, more likely to offer children to the demons, unquote. What? Well, you know how it is. You get a, you've get you got a jippy tummy and you grab the nearest child and hand it over to a demon. <laughs> <laughs> what a twisted view of women. How many women does he know socially? He won't be moving in female circles at all, I wouldn't have thought. No, but this, some of that was common belief, though. Oh, yes. yes. Which is insane. Mm. And Kramer could point to the veracity of his claims by pointing out that more women than men were prosecuted for witchcraft. So, case closed. Self-fulfilling prophecy. You just Indeed. You're going round and round in circles. We persecuted a woman, so let's look for other women. Oh, look at how many women we found. There must be more women. It's women. It's all down to women. <sighs> he also claimed that women's minds were naturally more impressionable than men's. And that's not just an abstract con concept, because their cool, moist, bodily humours meant that their minds literally could be irrevocably impressed with these ideas. You know, like a rubber stamp. Yeah. They've actually got squishy minds and things get, <laughs> <laughs> get pushed into It's it. like clay. You just push it on is. it and it becomes yeah, a different shape. It does. And unfortunately, women are lousy at critical evaluation. They just accept everything at face value. You are taught that in this time period, though. You are not taught to question things. And this has two sides, though, because they, they were more likely to be convinced by demons, but also they were more likely to receive the revelations from God. And this is Kramer's get-out-of-jail-free card. He had said quite categorically that all women were driven by lust. Okay. So where did that put holy women? Uh-oh. Well, since women are more carnal than men, I mean, we can take that as red. Well done, the holy women, for having fought against their inherent carnality. You know, they get extra brownie points because, you know, they're starting from a lower, <laughs> lower rung. <laughs> So Kramer was able to accept the existence of holy women without denying his own theory about womanhood as a whole. Mm. And this was important when you consider that they're all Catholics and it didn't do to diss the Virgin Mary. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah. With this sort of blanket condemnation of women. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, his views were 
common in the late Middle Ages. However, nowhere else are they so forcefully linked to notions of witchcraft, because no other 15th century demonologist went so far as to link women's weakness to debauchery and therefore to diabolical association. I'm not debauched. Are you? Are you? No. I'm beginning to think I must be. I should be. Sounds like it would be more fun. <laughs> Except for the witchcraft part. Not with the devil. No. <laughs> it all sounds quite seedy and ugh, a bit grim. And... Yeah. Mm. Kramer believed that he was living through a time of unprecedented adultery. Which may have been true, given what we've seen so far. <laughs> yeah, but it's mostly the men. It's all the bloody men. Yeah. I mean... The fact that Henry VII was so unusual because he was faithful to his wife tells you mm. something, that every diplomat mentioned it. Nobody mentions that um, Elizabeth was faithful to him, although I think we can probably take that as a, as a given, can't we? Yes. But if a Kramer, to be an adulterer, or even to be a single woman, made a woman more likely to be a witch. Why did people confess to being witches? Well, there's an obvious answer. Yeah, they were trying to avoid pain. Yes. England didn't use torture to the extent that they did on the continent. I thought this was interesting. And that is because the English jurisdiction didn't require a confession. So if a witch was found guilty by the jury, she was guilty. Okay. So in England, it wasn't necessary for her to say she was guilty. So ironically, the need on the continent for a heavier burden of proof meant a greater use of torture and a higher conviction rate than was the norm in England. Because I suppose if you've got to convince a jury... You only need a couple that are like, this is ridiculous. Mm. I've never yeah. heard such bonkers. I've lived next life. door to this woman for the last 60, well, 40 years. Probably not 60. She looked after <laughs> my kids for a while, and all my kids are yeah. still lovely. Mm. Yes, she can't do enough for you. Oh, yeah. you say what? Oh, right, burner then, burner. Yeah. Yeah, there must be people who in a jury system who just say, I'm not, no, no, up with this we will not put. Witch hunting in Europe began to get going in the 13th century at the change over from the accusatorial system of justice to the inquisitorial. Because in the accusatorial system, the determination of guilt or innocent was left to God through trials by ordeal, including holding hot metal, walking over coals, and as Trial you once told cake. me... Eating cake. Yes, yes trial by cake. That's the one I want. Thank you. Due to what was seen as increased lordlessness, the inquisitorial system kicked in. And this meant that there was now, on the continent at least, a need for a confession by the accused, because they could no longer leave it for God to decide. Many people confessed on the promise they would be released. They wouldn't, but they didn't know that. Kramer tells us this story. Quote, it's worth reading the book, by the way, because the well, part two. It's worth reading because it's full of it's full of full of really bizarre stories. <laughs> a young man and his wife, who was a witch. So I've done it again. I've said quote and then gone off at a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> quote: A young man and his wife, who was a witch, were imprisoned in Bern. The man was kept separate from his wife, and in return for the promise of pardon if he repented. He provided details of the initiation, denial of the faith and so forth, and paying homage to the little master. That's the evil spirit. 
The apprentice then drinks from a flask containing the liquid in which children's flesh and bones have been boiled, and he thereby gains instinctive knowledge of all forms of harmful magic. This is still the young man's testimony. The young man predicted that his wife would refuse to confess, and so it turned out. Of course, she's smarter than you. The man died with great contrition, but his wife died with dreadful curses, unquote. Which does imply that despite offering the man a pardon, they killed him anyway. Yes. And it also implies that the man knew his wife was stronger than he was and that she would hold out against the torture, oh, given yeah. that they were both innocent. Yes. <sighs> but yes, that was, I mean, that's in Kramer's book. And he doesn't see the, the problem with they've, it. They've said, no, you, t you tell us and you'll get pardoned. And then we hear that he died. I mean, he might have died 30 years later of old age, but that's not how it came across to me. No, it isn't. Hmm. It also makes me think you obviously didn't love your wife very much because you were willing to just throw her under the bus. It's a bit like the end of... 1984, when he, isn't it? When he, he shouts, do it to Julia, do it to Julia, don't do it to me. Yes. And I like to think I wouldn't say do it to Rob, but I, I can't honestly promise that. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think I'd be good under torture. There are some very brave people, aren't there? Yeah. It could also be that people confessed because this was wishful thinking for some people. Because I should imagine that this twilight world in which you are more powerful... And you can do what you like, both in terms of harming your enemy and having sex with whom you like. It might have been quite alluring to some people. Yes, it would be. Because yeah, they're in a hierarchical society. A lot of these people would be very near the bottom, yeah. bottom of the pile. So that would have, might have quite an appeal. Do we know if any noble women were taken as witches by this guy? I don't. I don't know. I think I think they were, but I can't remember the precise details. Okay. And I have to admit, it was quite a while ago since I did the research for this. Because honestly, I can see Kramer going after anybody. He seems that deluded and feeling... Oh, if he, he thought they were guilty. Yeah. He thought there was any possibility they'd be guilty. He would have no compunction about you know, their place in society. Yeah. It's easier if they're very poor, I should think. Hmm. So, what were the chances of getting a fair trial? Not great, I'm afraid. The type of arguments that led to witchcraft suspicions could be incredibly trivial. As the problem was that in a village situation, neighbours needed each other. But if you couldn't get on with each other, then this relationship could quickly turn very sour. Right. So, with a witch held responsible for all the ills of the community, her sacrificial death could restore communal harmony. Yeah. So it was not unusual for a whole village to unite against one person. So in a way, it was in no one's favour that she should get off. Right. Apart from hers, obviously. Yes. Kramer said that the judge had to consider three things. Namely, quote, and he's talking, so I've done it again. Namely, and he's talking about the defendant, quote, her bad reputation, the evidence of the fact, and the words of witnesses. And it's interesting which of those came first. <laughs> he then goes on to say that whether the accused witch, quote, confessed her crime or not, as long as the witnesses are of suitable condition and have not given evidence out of enmity, enmity, enmity and that a sufficient number of them, say six to ten, have agreed together under oath, then according to canon law, he must subject her to punishment. 
So he doesn't have a choice at that point. No, but if the woman already had a bad reputation, how difficult would it be to find six or ten witnesses who would testify against her? Not very. And how easy would it be to spot whether they were giving evidence out of enmity? Why did I put this twice? Enmity. enmity Malice. Or not. Malice. <laughs> <laughs> so the accused is then damned if you do and damned if you don't situation. Kramer, Kramer says that if the witch, quote, confesses and is impenitent, she is to be handed over to the secular court to suffer the extreme penalty, unquote. On the other hand, the witch, which maintains her innocence and, quote, does not confess and stoutly maintains her denial, she is to be de delivered as an impenitent to the power of the civil court to be punished in a fitting manner, unquote. So the outcome's the same either way. Even if she's totally penitent and saying, please bring me back to the church. Well, if she, if she won't confess her guilt, yeah, she is not penitent. Right. Hmm. Hmm. Tricky situation to find yourself in. Yes. Also, the accused wasn't allowed to know who her accusers were. And this was to protect the witnesses because... She could hex them. She could. But it also made it extremely hard for the accused to argue against accusations brought by unknown persons. Yes. The future of the Malleus Maleficarum. So that's the theological quagmire. That is the Malleus Maleficarum. But to end, we'll just have a quick look at the influence of this book following its publication. By 1490, there were incidents of the church banning the use of the text. Good. However, between 1486 and 96, there were eight printings of the Malleus, which is a lot. Yes, that is a lot. So someone's reading it. Yeah. And when you think it was only aimed at three specific groups of people, that's the theologians, preachers and prosecutors, well, the target audience can't have been huge, but... But obviously still. A lot of people seem to be reading it. He was fortunate to have published his book at the time the printing was really taking off. Darn it. But there were no increase in prosecutions in Germany at this time, despite Kramer's claim that witches were everywhere, which is gratifying. So it's not as if people bought the book and they rushed out to prosecute lots and lots of witches. Okay. But it was... Oh dear, I just realised what a horrible pun this is. But it was a slow burner. Oh, no! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, no! And it was used in the royal courts of the Renaissance and co contributed to the witch trials of the 16th and 17th centuries. So it just kept on going. Mm. And the book may have contributed not only to the increase in witch trials, but also to the increased brutality with which the accused were treated, because they're not just crazy old women in a, in a village hexing people. They are people who have had sex with the devil yes. and, you know, they're... They are evil, the ultimate evil. They are. So, well done, Herr Kramer. I hope you're proud of yourself. He probably is. Has Satan been released yet? I'm not sure. I suppose you could have said there are certain times in history where it might have seemed as if he had been. Yeah. Well, we're at year 2022, so mm. if not, he's 1,022 yeah. years overdue at least. Maybe he keeps failing his parole. <laughs> <laughs>
anyway, that is the Manius Malificarum. So I hope that's brightened up your Halloween. The fact that there's no way out, I think, is the worst of that. At least yes. for me, because once you're in it, you're in it. There is nothing you can do, nothing you can say, nothing anybody no. could say to save you. No. And your friends are all being told, go there, go in there and tell them to confess. confess. And probably with some sort of threat, if you're unwilling to do this, maybe you're bewitched or part of the coven. Yeah, well, you've also got that excommunication if you don't cooperate hanging over you, I suppose. Why is it always against women, though? You look at any society. Well, no, I will say 99.9% .9 of societies, women have been considered impure in some way. Why? And I don't get this carnal lust. Neither malarkey. do I. I am very happy because with my husband and I don't go looking for anything else. I, I'm, I might be going out on a limb here, but I would say that men are more driven by their genitals than women are. <laughs> I think the same way, but yes. I am not a man. Mm. And the fact that prostitution is generally a female. Oh, or, yeah, that's kind of or, a visual. <laughs> yes, or rent boys. It's does imply there's not that many. I think there are chicolos, but there's not very many. No. And they're usually there to sit to sort of look glamorous on your arm when you've got to go out somewhere you haven't got anybody. I'm not speaking this from from personal uh, experience. Experience. No. <laughs> ah. So wow. there we go on that bombshell. Have a safe Halloween. Yes. <laughs> Don't fall into Kramer's clutches because you'll never get out again. No. Oh, having said that, Helena Schubrin did get out of his clutches. Yes. And that was after she said fie on you. Yeah, but then she he altered the rules so nobody else could do it again. Yes. Well, I'm sure that that trial, and there might have been many like it, but certainly that trial was the instigator and it, it was the catalyst that made him think, right, I'm not, I'm not being not humiliated like that anymore. Yeah. I'm not unhinged. How dare you tell me I'm hinged? Me unhinged? Yeah, I'm going to write a book to show how yeah. unhinged I'm not. I can't believe none of the popes stepped in and said no. Like, just put I an know, end to it. I, I don't know enough about the popes and their opinions of witchcraft, but I would have thought they'd believe in witchcraft. Oh, yeah, I suppose so. I know Alexander was big into astrology. I think they all were that as well. Yeah. And why is that okay? Witchcraft isn't. It isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Henry VII banned astrology. That was one of the first things he did. But we know how superstitious he was. And he had his own court astrologer. Yes. Mr. Parron. Yes. And I'd love to do an episode on Mr. Parron. But since his Wikipedia page is about four lines long... And I couldn't find anything else. Unfortunately, he doesn't even fit into a cameo episode. Right. Goodness. They do seem to be able to, and we all do, I suppose, to hold extreme opposite views at the same time. Yeah, and how? How do people reconcile that in their heads? I think it's easier if it's in your own head. Yes. <laughs> and also, of course, the devil... Is coming in through your eyes and fiddling about with your cogitation, your yes. isolation, and your little worm. Yep. So, 
you know, you, you can believe anything. Good luck this Halloween. <laughs> and if you see a witch, say hello. <laughs> Just say, run, run. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you all for listening. Yes, and thank you. And we will you. see you again for something else. Yes. Not, not sure what it is now. Nope. It's a little hard because we don't keep a whole bunch in the can before we get going. So we don't mm. know what's coming up until we pull them out of the box. <laughs> yes. Well, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>